travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Welcome to the second episode of Talk Travel Asia. This is Trevor Ranges recording in Bangkok, Thailand, and I'm sitting here talking with... Scott Coates. You're not quite sitting with me. It's virtual because I am in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, a little south of you, but one hour ahead. I'm not sure who made the decision to move the time forward when you go south, but uh, we are connected virtually. Yes, and we're going to be doing this every other week, uh, speaking with each other or interviewing some expert in wildlife or hotel business or different aspects of travel in Asia. Yeah, we both have a, a long uh, storied history in the region and decided we want to share some of our tales, our expertise, our thoughts and travel and bring in some experts who can share neat things. So this is the big episode two. If you want to learn a ton about us, listen to episode one. That's all about Trevor and Scott and who we are and why we think, gosh darn it, we should be doing this kind of show. But a quick background, Trevor, who are you? Where are you from? What makes you special? I Well, I'm originally from Vermont, but I moved here to Thailand in 2001 from Honolulu, Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And I, I moved here to do some test prep. I was teaching SAT, GRE, and GMAT entrance exams for the Princeton Review. Right. And about five years into my stay in Thailand, I started writing guidebooks for Fodor's travel guidebooks, uh, co yeah, covering Thailand's beaches and islands and then the uh, neighboring country of Laos. And I went on to write guidebooks for National Geographic, including a first edition guide to Cambodia. Unbelievable. I'm going to quit right now. Yeah. And uh, while I was working on the Thailand National Geographic book, I had an opportunity to feature Scott's travel business, Smiling Albino. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that, Scott? Yeah, that's right. I'm originally from Calgary, Canada, the western part, and moved to Thailand in September 99 with a friend to start an upmarket travel company. That was the dream. And over 13 years, we did it. And we expanded to Cambodia, a little bit of Laos, Vietnam, Nepal. Uh, during that time, I did a little bit of writing for some magazines. I've authored some groovy map guides to countries from Seoul, Mumbai, Cambodia. And you and I met at a Halloween party years ago, and we've sort of been friends. And over the last, especially six years or so, we've, we've met up all over the region. We've collaborated on some projects. We hosted a podcast together for my last company, Smiling Albino. And I sold out of that in March of last year and moved here with my wife because she took a job with Michelin, the tire people. And we said, hey, we we can't stand this distance. We got to talk travel and have a drink. And why don't we start a podcast? So ba-boom, here we are. Yeah, because uh, it is true that in our professional lives, as well as our personal lives, our paths have crossed in all sorts of interesting ways. And uh, one of the things that we're going to be talking about today, the Angkor Temples, is something that we have had the opportunity to experience together a little bit. Yeah? Yeah. When we were ruminating about what should be some of the first shows we could do, uh, we both quickly... I think thought Cambodia and then we thought well naturally Angkor's temples and it's an area that's I mean incredibly gorgeous super rich but is much bigger than I think people envision and it takes a little while to really 
get a hold of it and how big it is and how to make the best use of time. So we're like, let's do one like Anchor 101. So the whole idea with this episode is to share a bit about the history of, of the Anchor Empire, shed light on what is it, what does it mean, how big is it, and then some of our tips for kind of neat, fun ways to get around, to do things, and to make the most of a visit. And you are definitely the Jedi in this category over me, Trevor. Well, maybe just compared to you, but there's definitely a whole bunch of people that know the temples really well. And I know that you've been there about 10 times yourself, so you shouldn't uh, discount your experience there. So True. and, And you've definitely done some really cool things that, I'd like to to tell other people to do, and hopefully we can touch on that. The only problem with a topic like the Angkor Temples is that it really is massive, and and I don't really think people appreciate it, what it's like until they've actually been there. What was your first impression? Yeah, I was terrified to go because I'd actually been running uh, tours in Thailand for, I'd say, a good six years. And my family, my friends had all made it over to Siam Reap, the jumping off point for the temples. And I just somehow never got there. And then it was like when you hear how great a movie is and you see the coming soons and you go to see it and it can't live up to it. So I really got worried about that. But it was probably, man, it's got to be like 2007, maybe. We were hired to host a family on a trip that Joe Cummings, the legendary uh, travel guidebook writer, actually designed. And I got over there, and man, it was the scale and scope and the number of temples over the size. It, it blew me away. It was 10 times more than anything I thought it would be. And every time I go, I am blown away again. And it's, it's, it's hard to wrap your head around the whole thing. So I feel super fortunate to have gone and, and feel great to tell people that, you know, it is one of those things that no matter how much you've heard or seen, it's going to blow you away. Yeah, but I still think that doing a little bit of preparation before you go is really important. Essential. You know? Yeah, because, again, it is really big. And, and you know, some people talk about getting, quote, unquote, templed out. And, and, and getting templed out, I think, it seems like maybe, oh, there's too many temples. But I just think it's that th- there are so many temples. And, and this is so geographically large that unless you do some homework before you go, um, and I don't want to make it sound painful or anything, but if you look at some maps and you read a little bit of history, it will really make you feel the history and, and how special it is when you're walking around it. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I like reading guidebooks, and I'll generally read some of the history and whatnot, but I don't kind of completely steady up before I go places. But I completely agree with you on this one, that looking at some maps, knowing some basic dates, having an idea of kind of how big each temple was and how long it took to build them, then when you go there, you really already have a bit of a sense of where things are located and you have that little bit of history that when you see for instance a big moat like a big body of water that's huge you're actually like whoa i read about these barais that were built to hold and move water around and so yeah you're absolutely right getting schooled up getting studied up before you go is is imperative and it'll make the visit that much better so Trevor, I mean, we're going to have lots of shows on Angkor and the temples of Angkor in different aspects, I think, over the next, you know, probably year. But can you give us just a bit of a brief overview? What is Angkor and what is Angkor Water? Are there more than one temples? What does it all mean? Yeah, well, I think that's where some of the confusion comes because people just call it Angkor, Angkor, or they know about Angkor Wat. Um, but 
the, the city that, that we nowadays call Angkor, and Angkor, the word that we use now is just a derivation of an ancient word that means city, okay. is actually, it's a large geographical area. It's almost a thousand square kilometers. Um, now, Angkor Wat itself is just the modern name of one temple within that complex. And to give you some perspective, Angkor Wat was built in the year 1150, roughly. Wow. And, and that's about 300 years after the city was founded and, and 300 years before what we consider the downfall of, of Angkor. So there's 600 years of history. There's over 300 temples within the park. And, and like I said, it's a thousand square kilometer area. It's, it is just historically and spatially gigantic. Yeah, it is unbelievable. And I believe the empire kind of started around 802. I mean, you can't ever know if did it start exactly that year. And it ran up to 1431, where their neighbors, the Siamese at the time, came over, sacked the city, took the land for a while, and then they eventually got pushed out, as was the case, the jostling between these two countries. And the town that you go to to see the temples is called Siam Reap, which actually sort of means defeat Thai, which I always kind of love. Like, talk about hanging on to a big moment and tacking it right on the, the board in the center of town, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely fantastic. Uh, and to think the the time periods that these temples were built over and how long each one took the kind of cities people i don't think understand that a key temple would have been the start of a new city and then that king died and another king decided hey everyone let's let's move a couple kilometers down the road and build a city and i'm gonna you know build a big temple too it's it's unbelievable yeah, that's a pretty good description of how it worked. They they kept reinventing the city over and over. But for about four or five hundred years, the, the city was actually called Yoshad Harapura, which wow. was the, the city of the god king Yasovarman, who mm-hmm. built his temple atop the mountain Prombakeng. And many people go to Prombakeng for their first night at Angkor to watch the sunset. And I think mm-hmm. even even just that experience, people don't realize that this was the center of a city that for centuries was was called after this king's name. I had heard that back in the day with some of these cities, and I don't know exactly what year, I can't recall, but some of the cities there were well over a million people and, and as large as anything in Europe. Is that not right? Well, I don't think they've gotten a fixed number on it. And I I don't know that it was more than a million people, but it was certainly larger than any city in Europe at the time. There may have been some in China beforehand that that were at least as large, but the the urban center itself, they they now believe, was 35 square kilometers of just dense urban city lifestyle. The temples themselves were only inhabited by by people who were in service of the god of the temple, often including up to 10,000 dancing girls. 10,000 dancing girls. That is a troop. Yeah. And their job was simply to dance for the gods. So when you go to many of these temples, they actually have all sorts of intricate carvings. And many of those carvings represent uh, dancing girls or apsaras because uh, dance was so important to their culture. Ah, I actually didn't know that because, yeah, they have these reliefs, these stone chiseled reliefs. And, yeah, a lot of them are of these dancing girls, these opsars, as they're known. So there you go. There's a perfect reason why reading a little bit before you go has has a lot of meaning. And am I not right that the greater 
Angkor Historical Park is like a thousand square kilometers? Yeah, it's roughly the same size as what they thought the extended city might have been at one time. And and mm. one of the other thing that's really amazing about that that thousand square kilometers is that it, it has been quite well preserved. Mm-hmm. So whereas a lot of Cambodia no longer has old growth forest, it's all been cleared for logging and whatnot. The, okay. the, the Angkor Archaeological Park, where Angkor Wat and Angkor Tom and all these other temples are, includes expansive forests. Uh, you talked about the Bar- the artificial reservoirs, mm-hmm. the, East, the East Barai is over seven kilometers long on one side. Right. And there's entire villages of people who live within the park. They live near these Barais. They live in the forest. Um, even within Angkor Wat, there's two active Buddhist monasteries. So there's many active temples within the park. And uh, it's very much a living and breathing historical site. Yeah, that's a pretty cool thing when you go there is you do encounter these families with their little house out in the woods. And, you know, they probably sell water T-shirts or something or do something in tourism. But, yeah, there's people that live right in the forest there. Um, the thing I always, I mean, kind of gets me of it is, again, I keep saying scale and scope, but there's so many temples. And you can kind of pick a little one. Like you told me about one called Tane, which is just a kilometer off kind of one of the main sightseeing routes. And it's just this charming little temple. You're all by yourself in the woods. Um, but I mean, what are some of the ones that people absolutely have to see? Now, I know you don't really get fixed on one particular one, but I mean, you're there for a few days or some key ones. What are they that the ones that people really have to see? Well, again, yeah, you're right. We've, we've had some debate about this because I'm not always so cut and dried about what you must do and what you have to do. And obviously, like Angkor Wat, which is, you know, perhaps the, the world's largest single religious monument, um, that is a must-see site. But mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think you need to do it the way that everybody else does it by, by crowding in front of the reflecting pools by the thousands first thing in the morning. Um, Angkor Tom, which is a, a much larger city than, than the Angkor Wat complex directly um, beside it has the Temple of Bayon with the many face towers. And and if you go to Bayon first thing in the morning, you'll have the place to yourself. So going to to Angkor Wat is instrumental, but you shouldn't necessarily go there first. Ta Prom, which is the temple with all the the giant trees growing over it, also incredibly popular. And I think that's another one you would want to do first thing in the morning. Yeah, those are absolutely key ones. And it's kind of, I mean, it is tough, right? Everyone goes to Angkor Thom, which is this old city north of Angkor Wat. Uh, Taprom uh, uh, is, is pretty fantastic. Priya Khan is great. Though the two things I, I mean, two routes I really like um, that most people follow, there's what's called the short circuit and the long circuit. And as it indicates, I think the, the long circuit's about 25K and it's flat there and with paved road. And it just takes you through kind of forested road and you can stop at any temple you want. And the short one, I think it's like 12 or 13K. But bicycles are such a great way to get around there because it is so flat. Like sure... It's hot, but you can a day spent on a bicycle if you have just an average level of fitness to me is is one of the great things to spend some time on the short or or long circuit. Um, knowing that there's so much, Trevor, and I always were running our travel business, planning people's trips, always used to try and encourage them to stay longer. But how much time do you think people really ideally need to kind of get an idea of, of the place? Yeah, you know, it depends on on people's preferences and also, again, people's sensitivity to the heat, I think. But, you know, you, you will easily spend a full day 
like in Angkor Wat alone, if, if you really were, were motivated to, you couldn't possibly see all of Angkor Wat in, in six hours. You right. know, I mean, there, there's people who have spent an, a lifetime doing archaeological research mm-hmm. there, right? So getting a three or a five day pass is, it's kind of mandatory. I don't think you could show up at Siem Reap and just be like, oh, I'm going to buy a one day pass. So, you know, Angkor Tom has dozens of temples within it. It's not just right. the Bayon. There's the Pimianakis and, you know, there's many smaller temples, which, which are equally fascinating. I, I like your idea of doing the bike, but I don't know that there's any like, oh, you have to spend the whole day there. No, you, you've done some really cool. You've done some cool things yourself, like riding the bicycle around the external wall of Angkor Thom. Yeah. yeah that, somebody put me onto that. And actually Angkor Thom is surrounded by a fortified wall. That's three kilometers on each side and it's eight meters thick. And these days, um, there's kind of been dirt and trees, you know, make find their way on top. And there's just sort of a nice single track path and you can ride a bicycle around the top. I've jogged around the top, but it's a really neat thing to do. And at the very least, you only have to make it three kilometers. So if you had your car or driver drop you off at say the South gate, you go up on the wall and you walk East, you walk to a corner and there's a little neat temple there on top. It's a great place actually to take a little bit of food and have a picnic and then just walk up to the East gate and you've walked three K and you have your driver meet you there or go all, all the way around. But that's, that's definitely a, a neat way to see it. You know, on time, um, I always used to tell our customers, they, for whatever reason, they tag it on to a trip to Thailand or a trip to Vietnam, and they're like, ooh, I, I only have two nights, they rush it. And I always think, you know what, make it four nights. And the reason is there's great food in the town. There's lots of other non-temple things to do. It's a charming place. And with four nights, then you don't feel you have to be out at the temples all day, every day, and get templed out, as you mentioned. So you can you know, relax, have some downtime, and when you want to be there, you're there. So I always try and say, hey, four nights, make it like you've come all the way around the world. Um, I mentioned bicycles, but one of the great things about Angkor to me is all the, the ways you can get around. Can you tell us a little bit about the different ways to get around and how people might want to combine those? Yeah, well, I mean, you mentioned Siem Reap uh, earlier, which is the town where most people stay in. And it is a really charming town, and, and, and people love Siem Reap. I mean, there's great shopping, there's great food, um, but but you can't walk from the park or you can't walk from town into the park. You need to have some sort of transportation. Yeah. So the, the bicycles are great. And nowadays there's a lot better mountain bikes than the old rickety Chinese yeah. ones that, that were available just a few yeah. years ago. Um, but you can also take a Ramok, which is like a, it's like a Cambodian tuk-tuk. It's, it's a motorbike with a, a carriage on the back of it. And uh, they're not air-conditioned, but they're open air. And, and it's they're really awesome. fun to drive around the temples. And your driver will take a nap in a hammock that he strings up in the back of your Ramok while you're checking out the temples. Yeah. Um, but other people might prefer doing it in a minivan. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get an air-conditioned minivan simply just because it is... It's incredibly hot, especially if you go this time of year. We're in April right now. Um, before the rains come, it, it can be pretty punishing. At the same time, there's a lot of walking that you're probably going to do. You can have your tuk-tuk or your minivan drop you off on one side of the temple and then pick you up on the other side of the temple an hour later. With an Angkor Tom, you're probably going to do a lot of walking between temples. So bringing some good footwear um, and a solid hat is is instrumental, even if you're on a bike or in a car or or doing it on, on elephant because there is a little elephant camp yeah. within the park. and, and you can, Yeah, yeah uh, I think you, you nailed it. I, I always like to try and get people to spend at least a day in a remote, these tuk-tuks, because it's open air and you pass Khmer people doing their thing and you smell the smells and that. But if you're going to have big, long days or if you're going to, say, go out in the heat of the day, 
I've, I've taken the air conditioned car and there's, there's nothing wrong with it. In fact, approaching days, I mean, most people and most tour companies will take people out in the morning. They bring them back, say 11 o'clock to avoid that midday heat. People chill out by the pool, do whatever. And then they come back at sort of three thirty four. So kind of one of the tips I always kind of tell people, especially the ones with less time is that, you know, if you can manage the heat and you have a good hat and you like to drink lots of water and stand under trees, you can kind of get away from the hordes on say the days you're going to see those key temples if you can do it in the afternoon so if you can be out from 11 till 3 you can cover a lot of ground but not a bad time to have a car what what are some other ways you think people can kind of approach days and maybe get away from the masses well i like that again getting up early is is obviously really important and trying to be there first uh, at any other temple other than angkor wat is great but like you were saying in the middle of the day uh both angkor wat and the priya khan temple both have a, a lot of area that's that's indoors like the big carved murals at angkor wat those are all covered they're protected from the sun so if you go to angkor wat around midday when everybody else is having lunch you can still be in the shade and you can enjoy the temple with far fewer people. yeah that's for sure so let's wrap this show up with a few minutes of kind of tips, some things we've learned along the way that we think can make um, the best best use of your time. I mean, you already touched on walking or cycling the top of the Angkor Tom wall, which is something I like. One, I mean, I sort of touched on it, but is is take lunch with you. There's there's food within the historical park, but in town, you mean you have great Khmer restaurants, you have Thai restaurants, you also have. I mean, I think that being colonized by the French sort of left a history of bread and sandwiches. So you can pack some drinks, a brownie, some fried rice, a nice sandwich. And basically all these temples have a larger fortifying wall. And I always tell people, say for Angkor Wat, just walk out and walk to the outside of the wall and just pick a tree and sit under there and, and have a snack or do it on top of the Angkor Tom wall. Like to me, that's one of the great, great things you can do. How about you? What? Uh, let's hear a tip. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the picnics too. But the other thing I wanted to say was uh, consider going during the monsoon awesome. season. Uh, the the rainy season months, um, it definitely does rain very hard sometimes, but it doesn't rain all day every day. And uh, during the monsoon season, th- th- this forest is just beautifully green. Sure is. And these temples, these temples have moats and they have reflecting pools and, and water was very important to their culture. So if you go during the monsoon season, it's going to be much more beautiful and you're, there's going to be far fewer tourists. Um, so if you don't mind getting a little wet or you want to bring like a good sturdy poncho and some Gore-Tex walking shoes, <laughs> uh, I think you'd really, I think you'd really enjoy Yeah, it. the first time I ever went uh, to the temples of Angkor, I ended up at Taprom Temple, which is the famous for the overgrown roots. And it just started chucking but had an umbrella but i mean it's so humid within a few minutes you're wet and go in there and there was maybe two other people and it was ankle deep water but why not it's still like 30 some degrees it's not like you get cold so i completely back you up on that one like i always tell people the hardest part about getting wet is the getting wet at the beginning if you can just mentally get past that yeah the rainy season without without any doubt is the time to go yeah, one other thing I wanted to mention, which I, I talked about a little bit at the beginning, was just uh, doing a little bit of reading beforehand. And it doesn't necessarily need to be a travel guidebook, but there's some excellent books uh, specifically about the temples, like Don Rooney's Angkor, which is just a book that explains all the different temples and the history. And I think uh, if you understand the temples, I think you'll appreciate them a lot better. Uh, one of the things I like to do is a, is a historical tour. I like to visit the temples in the order that they were Ooh, built. Ooh, cool. Because 
because yeah well because the, these temple the temples have so much rich uh, embellishment with the with the carvings and the decoration and if you do them in chronological order you can really see the development of, of different types of carvings and and the use of different styles in, in their design i've never done that trevor and i'm going uh, in late june mid-june so i'm going to actually try and approach some of that way that's a fantastic tip well there's so much to cover about uh, Angkor, the temples of Angkor, the whole history. And Trevor, you're, you're the man as far as I'm concerned on this one. So we will be sure to dedicate some other shows coming up to Angkor-specific issues and temples around that area. We're going to wrap this one up, and we will have a new episode for you in about two weeks. Thanks so much for joining us. Trevor, take us out. Yep. Thank you very much for joining us, everybody. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with some interviews with some insightful and interesting travel experts. Until then, thank you for joining us at Talk Travel Asia. Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey, Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Angkor Thom in Cambodia? 